Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. It reads, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Excuse me. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexandra, and others of, of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with this Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and have been asked how he came to be healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that this man had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed, standing there with them. There was nothing they could do, say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are you going to do with this man, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this, in, in this name. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people who were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Society establishes authority in a number of ways. And some of those ways are good and others are bad. Sometimes we vote for people who are going to be in authority over us, as we are going to do next year, as we vote for a new government. Sometimes we employ people who are going to have authority over us. About three weeks ago, when I was at Plegari, I met someone who was just recently employed as a load shedder, going to have the authority to switch power on and off on certain areas. Sometimes our laws empower people with authority, like a policeman, empowered to keep peace in a community, empowered to keep peace on the road and, and enforce the obedience of the laws of the country. And then you have others who draw people to themselves and, become, and they therefore become uh, authoritative figures by sheer personality like our celebrities and soccer stars and so on, talented individuals in various fields. But also we have people who use bad means to, have, to, be, to be authoritative of us. We have others who, are, who take authority positions by force. We have others who uh, who overstay their welcome in positions where they were elected legitimately. We have others who manipulate, who scheme, who plot to be given authority that they do not deserve. What society has to decide is who are those good people and who are the bad people? Which ones do we want to have authority over us and which ones do you want to deprive of that authority? Which ones justly rule over us? Which ones should, not, should, have, should have nothing to do with our lives? Which ones are bad influences on society, should therefore be shunned? And which ones exercise good authority over society? and therefore should be welcomed and invited in. We need to decide which ones provide peace in the world and which ones provide disruption. The passage we are looking at this morning deals exactly with that question of authority. Deals exactly with that disruption in society. The disciples, 
there, so we saw in chapter 1, they were granted authority by Jesus to be those who speak on God's behalf, to be apostles, to spread the word from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. As they started to speak, empowered by the Spirit of God in chapter uh, 1 and 2, they started to draw people in to this faith. As some asked themselves, what are these people saying? What are, are these people drunk? And they started to proclaim that no, they were not drunk, but instead they filled the Spirit of God. And they began to proclaim the wonders of God, who raised Jesus up from the dead and invited people to a relationship with God through him. As you saw two weeks ago, as they performed miracles in the name of Christ, showed acts of mercy to people. And those acts of mercy causing people to, to ask themselves, who are these people? By what authority are they doing this? But we see this week that there are others who are not happy with this. What you have seen so far is people coming in and coming in to listen and being converted and joining this community of believers. But what we have not seen is that there are others who are unhappy with, with what has been happening, who are unhappy with all these conversions that are taking place, who are unhappy with this, with this group of uh, 12 and more people who are coming together, now forming a, a community of thousands in their eyes, disrupting the social order of things, disrupting the religious order of things. What you're seeing in this passage, in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 4, is the questioning of the authority of the disciples to proclaim freedom from death. The questioning of the authority of the disciples to proclaim freedom from death. Look with me in verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read a portion of that. The priests and the captain of the temple, God, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus' name the resurrection of the dead. Look down in verse 7. That Peter and John brought before them. They began to question them. Now what power or what name do you do this? So you have in this community, rulers of Israel coming up to Peter and John because they are drawing in a crowd. They are concerned that the preaching of these disciples is misleading to people. Most particularly, the group that is mentioned here, right at the beginning, are the Sadducees and the guard of the temple. The Sadducees, we know from Matthew 12, uh, and other passages in Luke, 
that they were against the resurrection. And we also see that in, uh, in Acts 23, uh, 23 as well, that they were against the preaching of the resurrection. They did not believe in it, do not believe in the afterlife. So what these people saw as Peter and John were proclaiming that life is found in Jesus. That if you do not listen to this Jesus, who has come in the same line as Moses, you will be cut off from the family of God. You will, be, you, you will not benefit from the restoration of all things. They started to be concerned. What restoration? What cutting off? So, what did they do? They had these, uh, uh, these speakers, John and Peter, detained. Following day, they had them detained. They said they were imprisoned because it was night, and they wanted to deal with the matter, put them in a safe place, so they say. The following to the rulers of Israel, now including more than just the Sadducees or the temple guard, but including the, uh, the high priests, the families, they had them brought before the Sanhedrin, which included the high priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the, of the law, we call them, the lawyers of the Jewish religion. They have them brought before them. And the question they ask in verse 7 is this. By what power or what name do you do this? What they are asking there is, who gave you the authority to do what you have been doing? Who gave you the authority to speak in the way that you have been speaking? It is authority here. Because during this time, things, the authority came, was derived from an individual who was in leadership. For instance, uh, the Romans, they conquered lands in the name of Caesar. Those who were doing the act saw themselves as the extension of the king or the emperor. In the UK, you still have the same system. When they commit crimes, when they, when they are being uh, prosecuted, you, the case is described as the crown versus so-and-so. The crown standing as the authority over the people. The one who is offended on behalf of the people. So when they come to them and they say, by what name do you do this? What they're basically asking is, where do you get the right to do this? Who gives you the power to do this? Show us, tell us. Where is your certificate to teach what you have been teaching? Are you a Pharisee? Are you Pharisees? Are you, are you Sadducees? Have you been trained by the best rabbis in the Jewish community? 
Do you have a letter of commendation from someone telling him to teach what you've been teaching? Who gives you the right, they ask. Peter and John's answer is clear. We see in verse 8, Peter speaking on behalf of, of both of them, I'm sure. Filled with the Spirit, Luke tells us here. He replies to them, rulers and elders of the people. If we have been called to account today, for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and I've been asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This, that is, this man, stands before you. It's because of him. Peter and, uh, and John stand there and says, if you're asking us about the man who has been healed, he was healed by the power, by the authority of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you guys had crucified. That God raised from the dead He's doing two things here. One, he's saying that Jesus Christ has the authority to, re to restore life as he has restored it on this man who has been crippled for a long time, who has been disabled for a long time. But he's also saying something else. That the one that you have had killed is no longer dead. He's no longer there in the grave. He's risen from the dead. The one that you tried to, um, to destroy. He's still active through us. As you have seen us heal this man who has been sick. He points to, uh, to Psalm 18, verse 22. And it says, This Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. The emphasis there is that the one that you guys rejected, he is now the, the cornerstone, the, the main... Uh, I think because we don't have cornerstones in our, in our building traditions now, I think the, uh, a, a fair comparison would be the foundation of the building that the one that you rejected is now the one whom God is going to build his kingdom upon. He's the one who holds everything together. He's the cornerstone. The one who holds the uh, biggest weight. The one, if he is weak, the whole thing falls apart. The one you rejected, if they were builders, if you are a builder, and you're building a house, you find the best bricks for the foundation. If you're building a house, some people would even say, I'm going to go with the red bricks, the ones that have been heated up, 
the strongest bricks possible, just for the foundation. And then you can have cement bricks for the walls. Because you know that the foundation has to be strong. It has to be this, one of the strongest parts of the building. These people, these rulers have rejected him. And Peter turns and he says, the one that you rejected, the one you said was false in him and had crucified, he is the most important component of the building of God's kingdom. The one that you said had no authority to call himself king of the Jews. The one whom they mockingly put a, thorn, a crown of thorns on. The one whom they made carry his cross. He is the cornerstone. He is the most important part. He is the one who grants the authority to the disciples. So the question is, what are they going to do now? Are they going to reject his messengers? Are they going to listen to, to his messengers? Are they going to believe what they're seeing with their eyes about this man who has been sick for years and years, has now been healed? Are they going to turn to him? Are they going to turn to Jesus in faith and proclaim that, yes, we believe we made a mistake? But what you see in verses 13 to 22 is that they will not do that. And in the face of evidence, in the face of uh, <coughs> of the disciples, of the messengers of God who are coming to them and are saying that you may have made a mistake, but now is the time to uh, repent and turn to God in faith. They will not turn to God. Look with me in verses 13 to 22. I'm going to read the first portion for verses 13 to 17. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. First of all, they see that these are not men who have learned anything from anyone. They are not students of uh, the best rabbis in Jewish religion. But rather, they are people who have been with Jesus. They are surprised at this. How can men like this, unschooled fishermen, act with such authority? How can this be? But verse 14, they say, but since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing there with them. There was, nothing that they, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confirmed together. What are you going to do with this man? They asked. 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. First of all, they see the man who has been healed. They see him standing before them. There's nothing that they could do to, to deny that, the, that these disciples have the authority, have the power of healing. They are aware that they've been with Jesus. And secondly, they know that everyone in Jerusalem has seen this, knows about what has happened. So what are they going to do? Are they going to have their authority undermined as the killers of Jesus Christ? Are they going to have their authority undermined by these new disciples, by these groups of these new groups of people who are following Jesus? No. Verse 17, they say that this thing must be stopped. These people must be warned to speak no longer to anyone in this name. This is very ironic if you read this passage. And there are a number of ironies here, at least four. The first one is that the ones who are supposed to lead the people are now being led by the people. They have to bow to public pressure. Because they cannot deny that the man has been healed. They cannot deny that there's something with these disciples who have been with Jesus. They have the power to punish the disciples. But they don't use it. Lest they, they lose their own positions. And the people turn against them. Ironically, they are the rulers and elders here in this community. The second irony is, they say that the man is, was healed. For real. And they, and they see that the, that power demonstrated in the healing. But still they do not want to believe in the one from whom the power comes. Their hearts are hard. Do not want to hear it. They see it, but don't really see its significance. And thirdly, Peter and John have no political power here. But they're the only ones who are willing to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. They are the ones who are standing before the Sanhedrin. And are saying, we saw the man healed. And we are willing to live our lives in light of what we have seen and heard contrasting themselves with the so-called rulers. This makes Peter and John the real leaders here of the people. And fourthly, instead of warning the people of the danger of the disciples, they decide that we're going to warn the disciples not to speak instead. Instead of going before the people and saying to them, what these 
people are preaching is falsehood. They cannot because it has been demonstrated by this miracle. They go to the disciples and say, speak no more of this. It's a cowardly move, isn't it? Instead of boldly going out and defending their unbelief before the people, they instead want to offend the population of Israel. They want to be liked and loved. So therefore, they tell Peter and John, don't speak of this name anymore. But unlike the rulers of Israel, the elders and the, um, and the rulers, John and Peter understand the real authority. And the real authority is not these people here. The real authority is God himself. He's the one that they should listen to, not them. Why should they listen to these hypocritical people? This is 18 to 19. They call them in again. Commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They turn to them and say, okay, should we obey you or should we obey God? And that question is not answered yet. Because they're speaking to Israelites, people who are created by God, who are guided by God's law. They know the answer that no, they should be listening to God. And then they turn to them and he says, as for us, in verse 20, we cannot help but speak about what you have seen and heard. In other words, that these people that they're speaking to, the rulers, they have an opportunity to also speak about what they have seen and heard. They choose not to. But the disciples, they cannot help it. And what do the rulers do? They threaten them. But they could not decide on how to punish them. So they let them go. The question is, as we think about this passage, in light of evangelism, do we understand authority in this way? At times, one of the reasons why evangelism is hard is because we feel that it is um, not the right place, it is not the right time, and the voice of God is sort of uh, muted and put is made secondary wherever we may be. It seems less important seems easier to keep peace where you are, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the sports club, 
and not speak in Jesus' name? It seems easier for us to kind of be like the, uh, the rulers here and say that if people hear about this and the whole debate ensues about Jesus and what he, he has done, it's going to be a discomfort here, whether it's in my family or it's in the workplace. And therefore we decide that we're not going to speak about it. And we would rather those who speak in Jesus' name don't speak about it either to maintain that peace. For what we see, the example we see with the disciples, who have been empowered by the Spirit, they cannot help but speak about what they have seen and heard. They know what God has done in their lives. They have heard Jesus speak. They've been taught by him. And they cannot help but speak about what they've seen and heard. The pressure to remain silent because speaking up is unpopular is on all of us. At times, we, well, we, we, we like to associate ourselves with, with the kind of the good guys, the, the disciples. But I want to submit to us that a lot of times we are like the rulers of Israel here, who shrink under pressure of politeness, popularity, preserving their authority for them, and wants the truth of the gospel hidden. It is easy to remain silent than to be to spend your time opposed. But my prayer is that God would grant us the courage to speak about what we have seen and heard. That we may take every opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel and trust that God will use us to draw men and women, children, to himself. That's my prayer for us. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we are challenged this morning as we look at what you have done through your servants, Peter and John who were filled with your spirit before the Sanhedrin spoke courageously. I pray that you would give us that courage, Lord. That we too will be empowered to speak about what you've seen and heard. To be light to those around us. Lord, this is easier said than done. And we are thankful that even through your word you tell us that this, was, this happened by the empowering of work of your spirit. Grant us your spirit, Lord, and give us courage that we may be witnesses 
of Christ and his work. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.